All right. that has things to look for when you're studying the story of Joseph. So I'd like to, I'd like to, everybody has a copy there with them, and if you don't, there's one, there's, they're in the tables on the back and have some up here, so I want you guys to get them. So if you don't have one, get one. I was supposed to do that during the break, and I blew it. So my fault. So if you don't have one, grab one in the back or grab one from me. That's fine. You're very welcome. Everybody got one? Yeah, take three of them. Thank you. Yep. You can tuck them away. We're not going to spend a ton of time looking at them this morning, but I'd love for everybody to have a copy. Okay, so here's why this is important. I think it's important to know if God in his word helps us with what to look for when we're looking at certain sections of his word, then don't we want to look for that first? Right? There could be more we're going to find than these four things, but at least we're going to find these four things if we study the story of Joseph. So God has shown us four things, it's on your handout, that we're to look for as we're studying the life of Joseph. The first is watching Joseph get sent to preserve life. So we're going to watch him go out so that lives can be saved. Second, we're going to look to see how God uses evil for good. Third, how God tests Joseph, the test that God puts Joseph through. And there's multiple of them in his story. And then lastly, how he's a type of Christ by suffering so people can be blessed, just like Jesus was suffering to be blessed. So all those have scripture under them that we looked at a month or so ago. But we're going to look for those four things this morning as we, as we look into the, this next section of the life of Joseph. And we're going to see some more things other than that too. But we're going to start there this morning. So Renee's going to come read. We're in chapter 41. Here's a little warning for next week, if you could help me. So next week, we're actually going to look at verses 42 to 45. So verses 42 to 45 is a big chunk of scripture, but it's, what am I doing? Chapters, what did I say? Verses, sorry, thank you. Do that, do that, just keep doing it. Just keep raising your hand saying, no, you didn't mean Joseph, you meant, just do it, okay? Chapters 41 to 45, it's a a big chunk, but it's one continuous story, and interrupting I think wouldn't make sense. So this week, please, if you have time, read it. Have it read to you. You've got Bible programs on your phone. Have it read to you. Whatever you got to do. So you're kind of familiar with that story, chapters 42 to 45. And then next week, we'll probably just highlight parts of it to look at what God's doing in that section. Okay? So that's that's the deal for next week. All right. Renee's going to read chapter 41 to us this morning. So follow along as she reads. All right. We're going to start in 40, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. 
Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. <coughs> then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt, but after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt, let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that, are occur, that occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set them over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up, shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zephanath Paniah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food <clears throat> from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of fam famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharia, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to, do, to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you, Renee. All right. So we left last time. Joseph was in jail, and now we see everything that transpires in his life. And what I want to do this morning is I want to see how God works in his word, in redemptive history, in Joseph's life, and then I want to see where God works in similar ways in our lives. So with each one of the points I'm going to make, I'm going to talk about here's what God's doing in Joseph. Here's what God's doing in redemptive history and how that relates to what God is doing in your life here today. You got it? So I got six things, six timeless truths about how God works. So you ready? You ready? Here we go. We're going to be interactive. I'm going to be asking you questions and you need to like interact with me a little bit here this morning, all right? Come on, I went to some churches where people were like, yeah, all right, and praise the Lord. Come on, let's go. All right, we're in this together. Six timeless truths or timeless ingredients to how God works. Number one is this. God is not in a hurry. God is not in a hurry. We've learned this before in Genesis. God seems to never be in a hurry with anyone's life. The first time that we interacted with Joseph was in chapter 37, verse 2, where we found out he was 17 years old. Now how old is he? He's 30. So 13 years have gone by in Joseph's life. That's four chapters. 
And it seems like a big chunk of that Joseph spent in prison. That's what it seems. You can't really nail down an exact time. If I had to guess, I'd say it was somewhere between five and eight years he spent in jail for a crime that he did not commit. According to Psalm 105, his feet are in pain from the shackles. He's got an iron collar around his neck. I don't know if you picture him like strutting around prison. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't having a good time the whole time he was in prison. He may have been in charge of things, but he wasn't, wasn't a pleasant experience. But that's where he spent a big chunk of his life, a big chunk so far of the story he spends in jail. In fact, chapter 40, verse 1 says, sometime after this, I think Moses used these little phrases to let you know time seems to be dragging along for Joseph. In fact, I love how, and that's why Renee read it to us this morning, how the previous chapter ends and this chapter begins. So yet the chief cupbearer, right, chapter 40, verse 23, did not remember Joseph. So he forgets about Joseph. He gets out of jail and he forgets about him. And he forgot him, just completely forgot him. And then 41, Moses writes, after two whole years. So after interpreting the cupbearer's dream, he sits around in shackles for another two years. Now you have to wonder if Joseph thought during that time, not only did the cupbearer forget me, but God forgot me. He had to think, you know what? The cupbearer doesn't remember me, and I don't think God remembers me either. I'm sitting here for another two years. After interpreting this dream, that was my ticket out. I told him, hey, when you get up there, remind him about me. Silence for two more years. He had to wonder, God, did you forget me? God, do you not know that I'm still here? So listen, easy application for us, correct? (laughs) Here's what I would say to you. Don't mistake God's slowness as God forgetting you. Don't. I know it's easy to do. I know it is. But don't confuse God's slowness to work in your life or in your world as God forgetting you. God's slowness to work or to show himself strong in your life is not God forgetting you. He has not forgotten you. He remembers you. Listen, God is writing a story. It begins in Genesis 1, and it's not over yet. And you are in the story. You may be thinking, no, I'm not. You are. You may be thinking, I'm an insignificant player in the story. No, you're not. There are no insignificant people in God's story. He has not forgotten you. Listen, God's eyes are on you as much as God's eyes were on Joseph. Do you believe that? You know, you read these stories and you go, whoa, look what God did. Certainly God's eyes were on him. Well, guess what? His eyes are just much on you this morning. He sees you. His eyes are on you. So God works slowly, but you know what else is funny about the story? Is the reality that God works suddenly. He works suddenly. I mean, think about how quickly Joseph goes from jail to standing in front of Pharaoh, all because of a dream. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, look, at, look at verse 14 with me. It says, Then Pharaoh, he has his dream, and this, and then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. So he quickly, in a flash, he goes from prison to palace. From the presence of inmates to the presence of Pharaoh, from hairy to shaved. Not that that's that big of a deal, but it happened fast, right? He goes from prison clothes to fine linen, and it all happens. This chapter is like, or at least the first half of the chapter, is less than 24 hours. 
unexpectedly, bam, all of a sudden, he's like, whoa, what's happening? Get ready, Pharaoh wants to see you. No warning, no explanation. He's just all of a sudden yanked out of prison the moment that Pharaoh can't figure out this troublesome dream that God had given him. And now suddenly he finds himself there. And the things that happens to him in verses 41 to 45 are really kind of crazy. I mean, chapters four, in verses 41 to 45, he gets a gold signet ring on his finger. He's suddenly wearing fine linen. He's got bling around his neck. He's on a chariot, and people are yelling, bow the knee, bow the knee. He gets a new name. He's being welcomed into Egypt, and he's married. He's got a wife. I mean, all that happened pretty quick. Now, maybe he didn't get married within the first day. But the point is, it happened suddenly. It happened quick. It happened really for him very unexpectedly once God pulled the trigger. And so listen to this. Joseph didn't spend one second longer in jail than God wanted him to spend in jail. He didn't spend one second longer in his less than desirable situation than God wanted him to spend in that less than desirable situation. Now make the connection. I know these are hard connections to make, but just like God worked suddenly in Joseph, I think God at times works suddenly in our lives too. I think he does stuff, and sometimes he does it suddenly. In fact, I think sometimes he does it so suddenly that I miss it, that it happens so quick, it's like a blur. Whoa, 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 what just happened? And I, and I find myself reflecting on my day going, oh, wow, look what God was doing. And I was so caught off guard, I, I didn't even catch it. I missed it because I was caught so distracted by perhaps other things. I don't know how your walk with God is, but I can think sometimes, God, you're going so slow Come on, do more. God, God, you tell me you have all these good works prepared in advance for me to do, and I don't always see them, and I feel like life just gets monotonous. the same thing day in and day out. And then the moment God does something, I'm completely caught off guard. Has that ever happened to you? Suddenly I'm like, whoa, oh, whoa, whoa, God was doing something right there, and, and I missed it. I didn't capitalize on that moment that God gave me. I didn't see what he was doing in that other person's life because I was, I was blinded. I was confused. I didn't, wasn't paying attention. So I think, and I know this is a smaller application from this story, not a major one, but I feel like I look at this story and I go, I want to be alert. Do you want to be alert? I just want to be spiritually alert. I want my eyes to be open. I will actually want to be ready for God to work. I don't know whether Joseph was or not. I, I'm kind of throwing him under the bus a little bit, assuming he's in prison going, come on, God, what are you going to do something? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was ready. Maybe he anticipated it. Look, I pray that whatever shackles you have on life right now that you feel is holding you back, that you're just anticipating the moment when they're going to break and you're going to go. Like, be ready for it. Because he may be working slow now, but when he does, it's probably going to happen suddenly. Don't miss what God might want to do. And when God works suddenly, it is always for his plan and for his purposes. And that's what he's doing here for Joseph. God has a plan. And he's fulfilling this plan for Joseph, God, God is always on a mission. Now, we, we look at God's plan for Joseph, and it certainly is pretty epic, is it not? I mean, kind of hard even for us to understand or relate to. I mean, not everybody gets betrayed by their siblings and sold into slavery, right? And not me. I'm not in that group. Not everybody gets falsely accused by a leader's wife and thrown into jail. 
Not everybody gets the inside scoop that there's going to be a worldwide hunger and then given the solution and then called to execute the solution. Not everybody is called to save thousands upon thousands of people's lives, right? You probably say, hey, I'll spend seven or eight years in jail for the end. That's the result, right? Take me away. Seven years so I can have this happen? Absolutely. But here's something that everyone can say. See, just like Joseph, God is working out all of the details in your life to put you in the exact place that he wants you to fulfill his plan. He is. And I know it can seem like happen chance sometimes, right? Like, oh, I just happen to be here. I happen to be there. No, God, God is working to get you where he wants you to be to fulfill his purpose for you. Even if you've been going to the same place every day for year after year after year, don't get caught off guard. He is sending you there to fulfill his purpose. And listen, just like God sent Joseph to save people from starvation, God is sending you to save people from starvation. And it may not be physical starvation, although it might be, but maybe it's spiritual starvation. I mean, you look at the world around you, people are relationally starving. They're experiencing identity starvation, hope starvation, peace starvation, purpose starvation. They really are. They're starving. I think you could sum all of those up and say, you know what they're really starving from? They're experiencing Jesus starvation. Jesus really answered all of those things. I think people are starving for more Jesus. They, they need him. They're suffering from Jesus starvation. Listen, people who don't know Jesus are starving for him. And even us who do know Jesus, we're experiencing some degree of Jesus malnutrition. We are. We need more of him. We, we feed ourselves with other stuff, and we find ourselves really experiencing some measure of malnutrition for needing more Jesus. And that's what we are sent to do. And isn't that what Matthew 28 is all about? We talk about Matthew 28, but it really fits in here, right? Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. How? How do I go make disciples? You're, you're, you go, you've been sent, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we, we talk about how baptism there is not just only water baptism, but it's actually Immersing people, dipping people, surrounding people in the presence of the Trinity where you go. It's bringing Jesus for them to feed on because they're starving for him. They're starving for some reality that will help them understand why they have no hope or purpose or identity. And we've got that. And we bring it to them so that they don't starve to death. And usually the way we do it is not to save thousands of people at one time, although there may be a Billy Graham in this room that will do that. It's usually just one person at a time. Listen, you bump into people every day who are experiencing Jesus' starvation. They're starving. Their souls are starving. When you're together with your believing friends, when you're with me, 
you can be confident there, there is some degree of Jesus malnutrition happening in my soul. And that I need you to feed me some things about Jesus to help me live. And you need it too. And so don't miss it. God's got a purpose. He's got a purpose for you. If you hear that, right? God has a wonderful plan for your life. This is his plan for your life. <laughs> Go make disciples, love people, and feed them Jesus. Be alert enough so you don't miss it. Whoever it is around you, you've been sent on a mission to give them more of Christ. And as you do that, God will gift you to do that. Fourth little thing takeaway. God gifts Joseph. He gives Joseph the gifts he needs to fulfill the plan. He'll give you the gifts you need to fulfill the plan. What gift does God give Joseph? Interpreting. Interpreting dreams. Yeah. It's the interpretation of dreams that gets his brothers ticked off at him, which gets him thrown in a pit, which gets him sold into slavery, which gets him sent to Pharaoh. Right? It's the interpretation of the dreams that eventually gets him out of jail. It's the interpretation of the dreams that gives him the plan to know how to save millions of people from starvation. Right? God uses this interpretation of dreams in order to get Joseph to where he needs to be to do the things that God has called him to do. Really, Joseph used, ultimately, the interpretation of the dreams, the gift that he was given, to point people to God. Do you catch that when Renee read it? I mean, that's what he does, right? Who gets the credit for the interpretation of the dreams? Every time he points to God. I mean, it's remarkable. Nine times we see the word God in this story. Five of them are from the lips of Joseph saying, oh no, it's God. So look at him. Look at verse 16. If you're circling your Bible, circle these gods because it's important. Verse 16, Joseph says, it is not in me. God will give you a favorable answer. Verse 24, God has revealed to Pharaoh. Verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh. Verse 32, the thing is fixed by God and God will surely bring it about. So he's pointing to God every time. And he uses his gift as that opportunity to draw Pharaoh in. And it seems like to some degree Pharaoh gets it, doesn't he? I mean, he does. Right, look at verse 38. Look what happens there. Here's what he says. And Pharaoh said to his servants, uh, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And there's debate over what he means there, but he, he definitely is attributing there's some God out there that his spirit is in this man. Verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you. So it's almost like in that moment, Pharaoh goes, okay, it must be your God. In other words, he's talked about how God made it happen so much that Pharaoh's convinced now, your God is doing this. Your God is in this. I need your God to be in this. You gotta love that. God is at work. And I think, in a little half sheet, we talk about how Joseph was tested. I think this had to be a test. Come on, when someone encourages you, all right, all right, maybe in the church when somebody encourages you, you go, oh, it's God working. Maybe we do. But... What when you're in the world, do we attribute whatever gift we have, whatever blessing we bring, whatever encouragement we bring, when someone says, you know, thank you for that, do we say, well, that's God working in me? Do we, do we say that? I mean, this is a test for Joseph. He was probably scared to death to bring God into this thing. 
He could have said, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll figure it out. We'll interpret it. He didn't have to mention God. He didn't have to mention God that many times, right? But he does. He's going to give the credit to God for his gift, and then God is going to work seemingly even in Pharaoh's heart through this process. I mean, the connection to you here is not hard, is it? I mean, if God calls you to do something, he's going to gift you to do it. He's going to. He, he will gift you to do what he has called you to do. That is what God does. God is good at that. Now, I don't, we don't have time this morning to get into spiritual gifts and how spiritual gifts work. But I do want to highlight one spiritual gift because God highlights it. It seems like it's one that rises to the, to the surface when we get to the book of Corinthians, and especially 2 Corinthians. And it's the gift of prophecy. So I just want to highlight this really quick for us as a church, because I think this is an area that we definitely could grow in as a church. Um, but there's some verses here from 2 Corinthians that I think are helpful. So this is God's word. God says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Which gifts especially? Prophecy. Therefore, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So we've got God telling his church, really desire this gift earnestly and especially this one, so the church will be built up. I want to build up your church through this, so I'm going to give you this gift. And then he says this later in the same chapter. It's almost like a bookend to the chapter. He says, but if all prophesying an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is really among you. So in the first verse, it's about believers being built up and encouraged. Near the end, he's saying, and also, outsiders are going to come in, and through the gift of prophecy, they're going to say, God is really among you. Now, we've got previous sermons on the gift of prophecy and what that means and how that functions, and we, I can point you to those later. The point I'm making is that God pours down gifts on his people, seemingly especially this gift that we're all to eagerly desire to build up the church, to make his presence known to people who don't know Jesus yet. He, he will give you the gifts. That may not be the one you need when you're at Walmart talking to somebody, but it might be. But he'll give you the gift that he needs, that you need. The other thing I want you to notice about this, which I find very interesting, is after this, there is no more mention of Joseph interpreting a dream. He's going to live to be 110 years old. So the next 80 years of his life, he does not interpret any more dreams. Think about it for a moment. I think, this is just another hint that I can support elsewhere in Scripture, that God will give you the gift that you need in the moment you need it, not a minute sooner and not a minute later. So I hear people say, like, well, I don't really have that gift. Well, why don't you go out and try it and see what happens? <laughs> no, I think God gives gifts and takes gifts away for you in the moment you need them, so you'll trust him for that. And so you won't be proud. That's why we don't do spiritual gift tests. I don't know if they're all that helpful. Because he's going to put you in a test, and he's going to give you the gift so that you thrive through the test. He's going to be with you through that. So I want to just encourage you. <laughs> Know that God is going to gift you. He, he may not seem like he's in a hurry, but he's going to do something suddenly. And when he does, it's part of his plan and he'll gift you to bring it about. And in this case with Joseph, as he does his plan, he's also simultaneously keeping many promises. God is a promise keeper. I mean, look at verses 56. I want you to think about what promise God's keeping here. 
So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was so severe over all the earth. Why is Moses repeating all the earth twice and all the land once? What promise is that fulfilling? Part of that. Come on, what promise did God make to Abraham in chapter 12? All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So we've got two verses previously in Genesis that God is fulfilling. One is in chapter 12. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Same language, right? And then in Genesis 22 later on, he says, and in you and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Is this not a fulfillment of that? All the nations are coming to him to get food through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's offspring. So God is keeping his promises Now, I know this is unique for them and not necessarily for us, but I've told you this before, and you better be doing it. Store up God's promises in your mind and in your heart. Store them up because there is a war going on in your soul to believe what is true. And everything the enemy is trying to do is to not believe the promises that God has made to you. So you store them up and you believe them. And in Matthew 28, there's a promise there that should push you forward to live on mission. Matthew 28, the verse we memorize, ends with, I will be with you once in a while. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So in the context of this discussion this morning, we go, all right, If God has called me to do something, if he's put a situation in front of me, he's going to gift me to do it, and he's with me to do it. He doesn't just go, okay, you go do that, peace out. It's you go do it, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to gift you to do it. I mean, you think about it. If we only had eyes to see what God's doing, he sets up the whole situation, then he gifts you to walk into that situation, and he stands there with you and empowers you through the situation. I think he's doing that all the time. I just don't know we always see that that's what he's doing. I don't know if we always identify it as that's what he's doing. Oh, that we'd have eyes to see what he's up to so that we realize this is part of his plan. He sent me here. He's going to gift me to do it, and he's with me in the process. So feed your soul with promises that are going to help you to push forward when you go to make disciples. So this, this leads... Tyler, Jordan, and I together really to have a teeny little discussion with you guys. And it's a little discussion about deacons. It seems that as of today, we have no one that has stepped forward to express any interest in pursuing being a deacon. Which Tyler, Jordan, and I would say we're finding a bit perplexing. Is that a good word? Perplexing? Because we know that so many of you are qualified to do it and we believe gifted to do it that we're kind of on our heels a little bit going, why? Why haven't people stepped forward? 
We believe God's building our church. No question about it. We believe you're, you're gifted. God's going to provide. But there's some kind of holdup. And, and we don't know exactly what it is. And so we, as a family, want to start having more discussions about why that is. We don't know whether maybe it was described, maybe it's too intimidating. Maybe some of you are afraid that if you say yes, you're going to be locked in the rest of your life with no off-ramp, which I understand. Uh, maybe it's overwhelming. Maybe you've had bad experiences in other churches. We don't know all the details for everyone, but we really want to have conversations with you to find out what the, what the holdup might be for some of you. I, I was joking with Elspeth, but the picture that came to my mind was that we're all a family in the house, and the dishes are piled up in the sink, and everyone's kind of like, eh, let the dishes stay piled. I don't want to do the dishes, like kind of like that. There's a plethora of things that we need to get done. I mean, Gene and Stephen and Ruth, they help put, kind of organize and put all that list together. It's a lot of stuff. And we really feel like we're ready to do it. And so we need to have conversations to find out what, what the hesitation might be. So Wednesday night is an equip night. I don't know whether any of you can make it to that or not, but I'd love to make that even just a night just for open conversation. Members just to come and let's just dialogue about what it means to be a deacon and what your holdup might be or what you're curious about. Email us. If we don't know the reasons what the holdup is, then we don't know how to help fix that. Does that make sense? So we don't want to be in the dark trying to figure it out. So, so share with us what the holdup is, and let's have conversations, because we really believe there's got to be at least three or four or five of you that are called, gifted, ready to go, and we just want to figure out what the, what the disconnect might be right now. Got it? Does that feel like a spanking? It's not supposed to be. I'm encouraged. I know God's doing stuff. I just, we just want to figure out what role we can play to help move you along to use the gifts God has called you to, to use to build up his church. All right, back on track. Last thing here, number six. Here's the last thing that God is doing. And part of me wanted to revolve the whole message around this point because I think this is a huge piece of the story for Joseph. And that is a God for Joseph reverses hardship and affliction. We could say that he uses his suffering for good. We could say that he's finding fruit coming out of his life through the trial that he had to walk through, through the way that he was mistreated. So look at verse 50 with me. The language of this is so helpful. Let's look at verse 51. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second, he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Those two little phrases are so interesting. I, I pray they feed your heart this morning. Let me draw your attention to two things. First, notice God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. I mean, you circle those in your Bible. Joseph, you got to think about everything Joseph has been through. It ain't, it ain't been fun. I mean, you guys think about it. When you watch the news and like, John got released from prison after 10 years of being falsely accused and now he's free. And you're like, what? 10 years in jail for something he didn't do? Joseph just spent eight or so years in Joseph for something he didn't, in jail for something he didn't do. And here's his perspective. God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. I mean, those are two phrases you want to have stored up in your heart. 
God has made me forget. God has made me fruitful. I mean, Joseph here is so God-centered in these statements about how God had worked in his heart. God is at work. And what was God doing? He was flipping his hardship into fruitfulness. On my personal list of goals every day, it's, I want to be fruitful. Whatever that means, God, I want good fruit to come out of my life today. And here, Joseph is saying, God has flipped my pain into fruitfulness, my affliction into fruitfulness. And evidently, the fruit that came out of his hardship and his affliction was so good that it was overshadowed. At the end of the day, his time in the land of his affliction was worth it because of the fruit that came out of it. That's that's crazy. He's saying, no, the fruit that came out of my affliction made the affliction worth the time that I had to endure it. So let me tell you this, because you need to hear it. You are either in the land of affliction, just coming out of a land of affliction, or you're about to walk into a land of affliction. It's just reality, right? I mean, God's word is full of it. You're either going to be in affliction soon, you're in it, or you're coming out of it. And I think God wants us to look at these two phrases that Joseph uses and say, I will take your hardship and your affliction, and I will use it to make you fruitful. How do you endure affliction? How do you endure a season in the land of hardship? You look forward to fruit. You look ahead and you say, God, use this to make me fruitful for you. Use this to make me fruitful for your kingdom. That is how God works. I mean, most of us know that. It's usually not on the mountaintop that we're as fruitful as it is after we've gone through valley of the shadow of death. And then suddenly we come out fruitful. So my encouragement to you this morning is, wherever you are in your land of hardship or your land of affliction, know that God is going to flip it around and make it fruitful. And you may not see the fruit of it until you see Jesus face to face. And that makes it hard. But it's true. You may see it now. I pray you see it now. I I pray that you pray that you'll see it now. But you know what? Sometimes I don't think we do. I think there are people that walk through hardship and affliction and they don't know why the heck they're going through it until the day they die. They just don't know, God, why? It didn't seem like it produced any fruit. I don't understand what you're doing. Listen, this this is a trust God that as he brings you through the land of affliction, he is at work. And he will somehow bring fruit from it. He is somehow making it fruitful. And Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he didn't do. I mean, didn't Jesus walk through the land of affliction and the land of suffering and look at the fruit that came out of that? You're here today because he walked through the land of affliction. So he's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't already done. And ultimately, isn't that his story? I mean, Jesus goes through the land of affliction and it gets flipped on his head for fruit. And your death will be the same thing. Your death is the gateway to glory. 
Talk about taking a suffering and an afflicting moment in your life, the moment that you will die, and God flips it around and uses it to get you into eternity with him. I mean, that's what God's about, taking what seems impossible and using it for good, taking what seems terrible and making it for good. I mean, it seems like God sets his entire story up in Joseph's life to make it really, really bad, just so he can show how powerful he is to flip it around and make it something good. Almost like that's what God was doing. I think it is what God is doing. And I think at times we need to keep that in mind for ourselves. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I pray you flip it around and use it for your good. I don't know what you're doing in this situation, but please flip it around and use it for your glory. Use it for my fruitfulness for your kingdom. Hard thing to pray when you're in the land of suffering. Hard thing to pray. But I'm encourage you this morning to be aware of where you are in the land of suffering and to be praying for that God to work that way. And I think we could sum up this whole chapter this morning and it's saying this, that in your affliction and hardship, God is with you and gifting you to fulfill his plan to make you fruitful. I know that's just a summary of the chapter. In your affliction, in your suffering, whatever you're going through, know that God's with you. He's with you. And he's gifting you, working in you to fulfill his plan to make you fruitful. I mean, I think there's a promise there for you to cling to. Whatever it is you're walking through, in your affliction and hardship, he's with you, gifting you to fulfill his plan to make you fruitful. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing a song. Father, I pray that you would help, help us. Whether the affliction and the hardship we're walking through is tiny, teeny-weeny, or whether it's massive, I pray that we wouldn't see that hardship as an interruption to you working. I pray we wouldn't see it as you forgetting us. I ask that instead we would see it as you wanting to make us fruitful and that you're going to be with us through that. God, I, I know, I know the reality of this truth from this story has to take root tomorrow morning, has to take root this afternoon and tomorrow morning, not even right now. And so spirit, I ask you to flood my friend's hearts with this reality of what you're doing in such a way that tomorrow when they're in the middle of the hardship, when they're in the middle of the suffering, they'll remember that you've not forgotten them and that you're with them and that you have a plan and that your desire is to make them fruitful. So do that, I pray, Spirit. Do that in our hearts. That we'd have hope in those moments that seem hopeless. We'd have purpose in those moments that seem so purposeless. Because we believe that you're at work in our lives just as much as you were in Joseph's life. And may we see that and embrace it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.